Well, the question that we'll be that we're interested in this morning is, um, what do you think is our identity as the church? What's our identity as the church? Uh, we might say something like, the church is a community. It's the community of believers because we're bound by our faith in Jesus Christ. Or we might say that our church is a family. The church is the family of God because God is our father and we're his children. Or we might say the church is a body. It's the body of Christ because that's the metaphor that the Bible uses. Christ is our head and we are the body. A community, a family, a body, they're all common expressions we use to describe the church's identity. And they're all true, absolutely true. But when was the last time you heard someone call the church God's own possession or a kingdom of priests or a holy nation? They're weird expressions, aren't they? But they're expressions we find in the New Testament itself. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, it says that we've been redeemed from all lawlessness to be Christ's own possession. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says that we've been ransomed from every tribe and language and people and nation to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And of course, in the reading, in our New Testament reading, uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What the New Testament writers are doing is picking up on the language of Exodus 19, the language that was used to describe Israel, and they're using it to describe the church. In other words, in order to understand our identity as the people of God under the new covenant, we must first understand Israel's identity as the people of God under the old covenant. And so as we look at Exodus chapter 19 today, what we're doing, as Huey has already mentioned, is that we're resuming a sermon series on the book of Exodus, and today is the first of 10 sermons on chapter, uh, chapters 19 to 40. In chapters 1 to 18, it was all about what God has done for Israel. Well, now in chapter 19, the attention turns to what Israel must do in response because of the new identity that God is promising them. God is announcing a covenant with them. And we'll be looking at verses 1 to 6 in particular under three headings. What God did, what God requires, and what God promises. First, what God did. When verse 3 goes, Moses goes up the mountain and God tells him what to say to Israel. And he begins by reminding Israel of what he's done for them so far. So have a look at verse 4 in your Bibles. God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What I did to the Egyptians is what God did through the plagues and in the sea. Through the plagues, God forced Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And in the sea, God destroyed Pharaoh's army. By these mighty acts of power, God unshackled Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. How I bore you on eagles' wings is how God led Israel through the wilderness. Now, what does this metaphor of eagle's wings mean? Well, the metaphor actually comes up again a little bit later in the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 32. 
which says that like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided them. This metaphor is about God's fierce protection of his people. Like an eagle, God protected Israel and carried them through the wilderness. And thirdly, how I brought you to myself is how God has brought Israel to Mount Sinai. All the way back in chapter 3, verse 12, God said to Moses, This is the sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, three months later in chapter 19, verse 1, Israel has arrived at Mount Sinai and God has kept his promise. But the significant thing isn't the mountain. There's nothing special about this mountain in and of itself. The special thing is what the mountain represents. And that is God has brought them to himself to experience his presence. So you see, from beginning to end, God did it all. The Israelites owed it all to their rescuer, as is the case in any rescue mission, isn't it? Think of the extraordinary cave rescue in Thailand only two years ago, when 12 boys got, and their coach got stuck deep inside a cave. They were one kilometre below the surface and four kilometres from the entrance of the cave. They had no way of getting out on their own. When the rescuers reached them, each boy was given a full-face air mask. They were secured to a stretcher and then carried through the cave complex, which was underwater in many parts. And then in the final bit, each boy was winched up a steep slope using a pulley system. At every single stage of the cave rescue, from beginning to end, the rescuers did it all. Well, in the same way, God did it all for the Israelites. He says, remember what I did to the Egyptians. Remember how I bore you on eagles' wings. Remember how I brought you to myself. That's what God did. Well, second point, what God requires. Verse 5, God says, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. God is announcing a covenant with Israel in verse 5. Now, a covenant is a relationship between two parties, but it's not just any relationship. It's a special kind of relationship because it's based on binding promises. In this way, both covenant parties obligate themselves to one another. So marriage is a great example of a covenant. It's just because it's a special relationship between a man and a woman who make promises to each other. These promises obligate husband and wife to each other to remain faithful to each other for the rest of their lives. Where in, in announcing a covenant, God is effectively declaring his intention to marry Israel. And verse 5 makes it very clear that Israel is obligated to obey God. Now, what this looks like specifically will be spelled out in great detail in the chapters to come, uh, as God gives Israel the Ten Commandments and various other laws. So the covenant is clearly conditional on Israel's obedience. There's no question about that. This is what God requires. But we must be very clear on what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the covenant is based on Israel's obedience. We've already seen that Israel's salvation is the result of what God did. The covenant isn't based on Israel's obedience, but on God's grace. 
what God did for them. So it's not, it doesn't, it's not based on Israel's obedience, but nor does it mean that the covenant is maintained through Israel's obedience. As we'll come to see in chapter 32, it's not very long before Israel break their covenant promises as they worship a golden calf. Uh, but we see in these chapters in, in 33 and 34, God graciously renews the covenant. And so the covenant is not based on or maintained by Israel's obedience. The covenant is based on and maintained by God's grace. So then, what's the condition of Israel's obedience relate to then? If it's not related to salvation, what's it related to? Well, have a look at verse 5 again. God says, If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Israel's obedience relates to God's promise for Israel, the promise of a special identity. If Israel obeyed God, they would be his treasured possession among all peoples. Perhaps an example would make this very clear. When my wife and I were dating, we lived on the same street, which made, made dating very easy because I just walk up the street. And we often went for walks with her dog, Sammy. So when it was time to propose to my wife, I decided to get Sammy's help to propose. And my plan was, was great. It was to attach the ring onto Sammy's collar and have him bring it to me. I thought that would be hugely romantic. But in hindsight, it could have been a very expensive mistake. Now, to make sure that it didn't become a very expensive mistake, my wife's brother and I spent a month training him to obey my commands. Now, when proposal day came, the fact that Sammy was my wife's dog didn't depend on his obedience to me or on any other day for that matter. But in order for Sammy to be our engagement dog, to have that special identity and status, he did need to obey my command on that day. Well, in order to enjoy God's promise of a special identity, to be his treasured possession, Israel must obey God and they must keep his covenant. So third point now, what God promises. He promises that there'll be a treasured possession. Now, God claiming Israel to be his possession doesn't mean that other things in the world don't belong to God. We must be very clear about that. God made the whole universe. So in a sense, he possesses everything and everyone in it. The end of verse 5 makes that very clear, doesn't it? It says that, that the whole earth is God's. But while this is true, that God does own everything in the universe, in another sense, God has chosen Israel to be his treasured possession. In the Bible, the, treasure, uh, the word for treasured possession refers to the property of a king. But it doesn't just refer to the property of his kingdom in general. It refers to his own personal property. It reminded me of a story that I heard uh, about when T-shirts first came out in the 1930s in, in, in America. Uh, the University of Southern California used these T-shirts uh, for their football players. They wore them underneath all their padding to prevent um, chafing from their pads. But the shirts became so popular that students in the university started stealing them. Uh, so the school thought they had a great plan. They came up with a great plan. They started writing the words, the property of USC on the shirts. Now, you tell me, do you think that would have stopped the stealing? Well, of course not. It made them more valuable, actually, and people started stealing them even more. 
But what was clear was who the shirts belonged to. They were the property of USC. Where well, Israel obeyed God and kept his covenant, it'll be crystal clear who they belong to. They'll be the property of God. It'll be emblazoned over them. They are the property of God. They'll be his treasured possession among all peoples. Now, you'll notice that the phrase is, uh, among all peoples, is basically repeated again in the phrase that immediately follows, for all the earth is mine. So what we see here is that the emphasis of verses 5 and 6 is on Israel's special status in comparison to the rest of the world. Even though, though the whole earth belongs to God, Israel shall be his treasured possession. And then verse 6 goes on to elaborate on what this means. There shall be to God a kingdom of priests. The priests were those who could come near to God. If you have your Bibles open, I just glance down a little bit further in verse 22. You can see this, that the priests are those who come near to God. The status of priesthood is like having a backstage pass. It gave you privileged access to God. And there's no greater privilege than having access to the God of the whole universe. And this privilege allowed priests to act as mediators between God and humans. The fact that they could come near to God meant they, they, they could go between God and mankind. And, so, and they offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, and they also took God's instruction uh, to the people. But notice that verses uh, 4 to 6, notice that God isn't just promising the priestly ministry to some select Israelites, because he's actually addressing the whole nation here. He doesn't say, you shall be to me a kingdom with some priests. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. God is promising that all his people, would comprise a kingdom of priests. If Israel obeyed God and kept his covenant, every single citizen in this nation will be involved in mediating the knowledge of God to the nations. And God says, you shall be to me a holy nation. God is holy because he's unlike any other. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, after God had rescued uh, the Israelites through the Red Sea, the Israelites sang a song. And in verse 11, they sing, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer is, of course, no one. God is holy. It means that there's no one like him. God is completely other and separate and distinct and transcendent from anything and anyone else in the entire universe. And this holy God, who is completely other, uh, who rescued Israel, is now calling them to be his holy nation, to be a nation like no other. He's not calling them to be a set away nation, you know, set away from the world. For Israel exists alongside other nations in the world. They're not set away, but they're set apart. They're set apart nation that reflects something of God's character to the rest of the world. God later says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So if Israel obeyed and kept God's covenant, they'll be set apart from all the other nations of the world. So what God is promising Israel here is a very special identity, to be his treasured possession among all peoples. And this special identity entails a very special responsibility. 
to the nations. As a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, they're to reflect God to the world. In other words, God's promises to Israel here include the whole world. There's a uni- it's universal in scope. And in fact, reaching the whole world was always part of God's purposes. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation. And God said that through this nation, through these descendants, the whole world would be blessed. Well, now in Exodus chapter 19, God promises Abraham's descendants that through them, he intends to make himself known to the world. God says, if you obey, you will have this special status and this special role in my purposes. But of course, the story of the Old Testament is that Israel never succeeds. Israel fails to obey God's voice and they fail to keep his covenant. And in the end, God declared them to be not my people, not my people. The story of the New Testament is that Jesus did what the people of Israel and Jesus did what you and I could not do. When Jesus lived on earth, Jesus was declared to be God's beloved son. He always obeyed God and he lived a holy life. And he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for sins. And he was raised to life to become the mediator, the great high priest of a new covenant, the sole mediator between God and humans. In other words, Jesus is the true Israel. And through Jesus, God extends the gift of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life to the whole world. And in bringing us to God, Jesus is creating a new people with a new identity, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, what was said of Israel's identity back then is now said of the church's identity now. Christians are God's special possession. Uh, We're the property of God. We have this written all over us. Christians are a royal priesthood. We have an all-access backstage pass to God. Christians are a holy nation. We're set apart from the world. And our special identity entails a special role, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. So don't you think that's just absolutely incredible? Isn't that, doesn't that just blow your mind away? That God has set us apart as his chosen people, his treasured possession to reflect him to the whole world. It's amazing, isn't it? So let me offer three concluding thoughts then. First, our special identity means that we're in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in the world. We engage with the world. We contribute to the world. We enjoy the world. But we don't belong to the world because we belong to God. And he calls us to be set apart from the world. We're not supposed to see like the world, to hear like the world, to talk like the world. We're not supposed to be conformed to the world. We're supposed to stand out from the world to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as Jesus says to his followers. Our our identity as God's people is to be distinct in the world. Secondly, 
Our special identity isn't given to promote pride, but to proclaim God. Our identity isn't given to make us feel superior to other religions. It's not given to make us feel superior to unbelievers or people who don't know God. It's not given to make us look inward to ourselves. It's given to make us direct others upward to God, to bring the knowledge of God to the world, to reflect his character to the world, to proclaim his excellencies to the world. Our identity is God-centered. And finally, our special identity isn't if, but are. A-R-E. It is an if, but are. Because Exodus 19 says, if you obey, but 1 Peter 2 says, you are. We already are because Christ lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death we should have died. He is the true Israel through whom God pours out his blessing of salvation to the whole world. He is the saviour who makes us from not God's people to God's people. So our identity is secured in Christ. In Christ, this is who you are. You are God's treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Now, how's that for the church's identity? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, you have saved us and you have taken us out of the world to have a special identity, a special identity as your treasured possession, your kingdom of priests and your holy nation. And this special identity gives us a special role to make you known to the world. We thank you for this amazing privilege. We thank you that this identity is secured in Christ. And we pray indeed that by the way we live, and by the way we speak, and by the way that we act, that we would reflect you to the world and make you known. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.